Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. I'm so pumped you're joining us today to have Dr. Dwayne Moore on the podcast. He's an assistant professor um, in philosophy at, well, I totally lost it right there. I was going to say the University of, Sis- I'm, I don't even want to say, I'm going to say Saskatchewan, even though you corrected me already, that that's just totally wrong. Um, but yeah, Dwayne, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Doing well. How are you doing, Zach? I'm good. Can you remind me again? It's like Saskatchewan. Saskatoon, right? The the city is Saskatoon. The university is actually called the University of Saskatchewan, which is the province that we're in. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess that wasn't too far off. Um, but today we're going to be talking about like uh, free will and like the argument from reason and philosophy of mind um, and physicalism and all this stuff. So like, Dwayne, to get things started, you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and like what you do and things like that? Sure. I... Uh... Uh, I'm a professor uh, in the philosophy department at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, I did my PhD uh, in the field of mental causation. I studied um, Jaiguan Kim uh, for my dissertation, who is uh, sort of a bigwig in the mental causation literature, is a physicalist himself. Uh, And then I sort of moved on to focusing on mental causation and uh, have been Sort of publishing in that field for maybe 10 years. Uh, and um, in recent years, I've sort of started to dabble elsewhere. I've dabbled into free will discussion a bit. And uh, the argument from reason has caught my attention because it sort of seems to intersect a lot of issues in mental causation and in physicalism, which I've been working on. So I've just turned my attention to that in the last couple of years. So what, like, broadly speaking, is the argument from reason? Uh, yeah, so uh, the argument from reason is sort of a, a wasp's nest of issues. It uh, It's unclear what the target is. Some people try to target materialism or to target naturalism or determinism. Uh, I focus on physicalism. Uh, the reason I do that is because, um, I mean, we one could target whichever of those one wants, but uh, materialism has sort of fallen out of popular uh, lingo and and it's been replaced by physicalism because as sort of advents in quantum physics and advents in the physics um, came about, uh, it turns out that the world is not just matter as traditionally construed like particles. There's like forces, there's fields, there's waves, there's might be strings, right? And so people started to just call it physicalism, which is anything in the spatial temporal universe. And so I focus on that. Um, and then the argument from reason sort of tries to uh, bring, say, there's some aspect to reasoning that uh, is is problematic on physicalism. And people say, well, is it intentionality? Is it uh, the propositions that are referred to? Is it logical relations? So there's a whole bunch of issues around there. And I focus on the mental causation part because that's my my background and what got me interested. So the basic gist is that um, there's sort of this concern. Physicalism is a certain view and uh, reasoning or uh, reasons causing our beliefs is not consistent with physicalism. And then that puts the onus on the physicalist to say, um, oh no, here's how we can get um, sort of inferential processing uh, from physicalism. And so that's sort of the the shortcut of it, the basic gist is if if I believe something, let's say I believe um, Socrates is mortal, uh, and I've come to that from an inferential relation between between prior beliefs, let's say 
Socrates is human and humans are mortal. And then I've, I've come to the conclusion, wow, Socrates must be mortal. That sort of reasoning that I'm, I'm speaking of. And uh, what happens is physicalism suggests that uh, that belief that I have is actually caused by physical processes in the brain, uh, which are irrational processes. And so the question is, can, can you get um, reasoning from these irrational physical processes? It sort of has a, a long history to it. It goes back to Plato, at least. Um, in the Phaedo, he's sort of uh, in the Phaedo 97 to 100, is trying to say, uh, or Socrates is saying, you know, why am I in jail? Um, and he's looking for a cause and he's presented a material cause. You know, oh, it's the movement of your limbs and your sinews and joints. And and he's not satisfied with that. He's like, no, the real cause is a reason. Like I went to trial and I stood my, my ground and they put me in jail. And so there's this sense that reason causes are not consistent with material causes, even back to Plato. And it's been around percolating ever since then. Mm, okay, so this is really helpful. And one important like thing to talk about, um, maybe to clarify, is like, so when we're thinking about like the argument from reason, and please correct me if I'm wrong in how I like um, understand what's going on. It's not that like when we, like, when we look at the argument from reason, it's not that like these causes, um, let's say that like physicalism is true. Uh, these causes that lead to our beliefs, it's not that they're irrational, um, but it's like they're like you said the word irrational, right? If that's right, can you just like clarify that distinction? Because I think that's helpful, and a lot of people like miss that at first. Because I know I did. Yeah, for sure. In fact, there's this uh, in the history of the argument. There's this discussion between uh, C.S. Lewis and Elizabeth Anscombe, and um, Lewis originally had said, uh, you know, physical processing is irrational, which means like it it makes no sense or it goes against reason. Uh, and Anscombe tried tried to point out, no, it's not. Physical processing is it just it it's just a category mistake to talk about rationality or irrationality. It's just irrational. What you've got is electrochemical activity. You may you physical forces, strong, weak nuclear force, um, gravitational mass, electric charge. And this is just it, it. There's nothing in the vocabulary that evokes anything to do with rationality or irrationality. So it's just irrational. It's just, it's just what's happening, not what ought to happen or what is justifiable or what is reasonable, uh, or anything like that. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you, Dwayne. So maybe then we could look at like. Uh, do you want to like briefly sketch out like when we're talking about like reason for the sake of today, like what is reason? And then also like what is like physicalism um, as we go through this conversation today? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So what is reason? As I mentioned, there, it's like a big issue, like to talk about what is reason. And I'm focusing on a pretty narrow um, part of it in order to make the argument. So it would be possible to find people making an argument from reason that focuses on a totally different aspect than I do. Um, and so for me, uh, what I'm talking about is uh, inferential knowledge. And that means that we have a reason, which is a set of beliefs combined together in a logical relation that um, impel, compel us or lead us to a certain um, rationally justified conclusion. So going back to that very simple example, if I believe that Socrates is human, and I believe that humans are mortal, those two beliefs together 
and they have a logical connection between them, form a reason for the uh, conclusion that uh, therefore it must be the case that um, Socrates is mortal. Um, and so that's what I mean by a reason. It's sort of a justifying reason in the literature. There's also motivating reasons, but I'm not uh, as focused on that. And the, the reason I'm focused on that is because knowledge, uh, at least inferential knowledge, and there's many different types of knowledge, but I'm focusing on inferential knowledge, that it requires reasons uh, to cause our properly inferred beliefs. And so the reason that 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 uh, we need those reasons to be a cause is, uh, well, when we're talking about knowledge, um, uh, you could you could you could say, well, what is knowledge? Knowledge is just a belief I have. Let's say I believe Santa wears green, um, and of course that's false, though. So that's not real knowledge, right? Santa wears red, or Santa doesn't even exist, right? Uh, on a side note, um, I've never understood why parents give all the credit to Santa Claus when they bought the presents, but that's a different topic. Um, so we need it more, more a belief, but it needs to be a true belief, right? And so now I have a, a true belief. Um, I believe that Montreal is east of Vancouver. That's a little bit of Canadian geography, and that is true. Um, but that's not enough for knowledge because I could by luck come to that belief, right? Let's say uh, I say to myself, I'm just going to spin around until I'm dizzy. And whatever direction my fingers pointed at, I'm going to believe that Montreal's in that direction. And I do it and I fall down to the ground after dizzy and it's east. Uh, well, I was luckily right. Um, and so that's not enough for knowledge. And so epistemologists tend to think you need justification too. You need to have a good reason. Uh, you need to have some sort of um, evidence, right? So if I talk to all the truckers in Canada and which ways is Montreal, I look at a map, I go on Google and find the map. Oh, yes, I see it. Now suddenly I've got a justification for my belief that Montreal is east of Vancouver. Uh, but that's not enough either, as it turns out. In the 1960s, um, a fellow by the name of Edmund Gettier sort of introduced a set of problems with knowledge as justified true belief. And you can see the problem in, uh, in the following example, which is in the literature. Uh, let's say you've got a, you're on a jury, um, and uh, you hear a case, uh, and there's evidence on both sides, but it's pretty clear that some defendant is innocent. Let's just say uh, they've been accused of murder, but like there's sort of shoddy evidence, and so you're on the jury, and, but you're not convinced yet. You've heard it, but you've got good reason to believe the defendant is innocent, and it is true in this case that the defendant is innocent. Um, but you're not sure yet. And so you go off, you say, you know, I'm a superstitious person. I'm going to go consult uh, the horoscope or some, in some uh, examples, they consult a, a tarot card or they flip a coin. There's different uh, examples. And so his horoscope says, think the best of people today. Um, and it's okay. So I'm going to think the best of people. That means I now believe this person's innocent. And so the cause of him believing the person's innocent is not his justification, which he did have. He did hear it all. Uh, it's just sitting there in the background and it didn't do the causal work. Uh, and so he's got a justification and a true belief, but it's not knowledge. So what you need is that justifying reason to be the cause of your belief. Um, and so this is what you need for knowledge. Uh, and so this sort of shows that a reason or, you know, sort of those background beliefs have to be the cause of uh, the conclusions we reach, or else we just don't have knowledge, or at least we don't have inferential knowledge. Um, and so 
that's sort of the aspect of reason that I'm focusing on for this um, argument. So then if we're sketching this out, like is the problem with physicalism when we're thinking about like this version of the argument from reason is like to like have this inferential knowledge, we need these reasons. Um, but if we think about like under a physicalistic like picture of the world, um, what's really causing uh, our beliefs that we would want to say are have like or give us knowledge um, is these like uh, irrational processes. Is that is that the problem here? Yeah. So then I guess it's worth sort of sorting out. Well, what 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 does the physicalist uh, endorse? Um, and so imagine um, the universe in its initial moment. Let's let's assume. 13.7 billion years ago, just they're not for sure about that, but let's just assume it's about that old. Um, and from that moment on, uh, microphysical processes uh, completely uh, gave rise to everything that existed in the universe and everything that happens next in the, in the next moment of the universe. And then if we go to the next moment, you know, 13.6999 billion years ago, same thing. Uh, you've got these physical processes that completely give rise to everything that is in existence at that moment and then everything that will happen in the next moment. And we could just keep following that forward to, um, you know, the, why is there a sun? Why is there a planet Earth? And we could give a complete physical cause of why everything exists in that moment and then why the, the next moment is the way it is. Carry that forward to the origin of life. Why is there life forms? There's a complete physical uh, cause of that. Um, carry that forward to the beginning of uh, sort of conscious minds in some life forms. Uh, and again, there would still be like the universe hasn't suddenly stopped doing what it's always done. It's still there's still a complete physical cause of everything that exists at that moment um, that you have a mind that it's thinking the way it's thinking. And it, that completely gives rise to the next uh, moment in the universe as well. And that will happen for the next billion of whatever years as well, even when humans are long gone. Uh, you've got this unbroken uh, series of physical causes that uh, happens everywhere. Certainly, it's not controversial that it happens on, on every planet, not Earth, which is the vast amount of everything. Um, but also... Uh, according to the physicalists, it happens on Earth, it happens in all life forms, it happens in all uh, life forms with consciousness as well. And so usually the physicalist um, explains this by means of a couple of principles, a supervenience principle, and then a physical causal completeness principle. The supervenience principle is the, the part that says uh, the bottom level or um, microphysical particles give rise to more complex uh, I said molecules and those give rise to so there's an upward determination that the, the bottom level uh, makes happen the up, upper higher levels of the physical universe um, and so there's a dependency relation the the, the lower level gives rise to the higher level um, sometimes this is a framed uh, Frank Jackson frames it this way um, if you uh, have a physical duplicate uh, you've got a duplicate simpliciter of the universe. That means all you have to do is arrange the physical particles and you've got everything the way it is. Um, and so that's the supervenience principle. And then there's a physical causal completeness principle, which says that, and that's the part that carries it forward to the next moment, that you know the arrangement of particles in the universe at time t is a sufficient cause for the arrangement of particles in the universe at the next moment, a time t plus one. Um, and 
these aren't very controversial pr principles for the physicalist. In fact, it's kind of you, entrance to the, the game, kind of you need to accept these principles or you're not really considered a physicalist. Though some could try to fudge it in, in certain ways, but those are, are not controversial principles. Um, and so if you accept that sort of background um, physicalist metaphysic, we have to say, well, what is the nature of the physical then? Um, and uh, physicalists have tried to propose various uh, answers to that. One very interesting proposal is um, a via negativa uh, physicalism, which just says the physical is anything that is not mental. So it defines itself by what it is not. Um, there are other ones too, but the basic, uh, the reason I mention that is because there's this intuition out there that the physical is something that it doesn't, that is, um, uh, not mental in some way. It doesn't have teleology to it, right? Aristotle way back in the day ha had infused nature with teleology. Uh, so if you say, well, you know, why is the sunflower uh, turning towards the sun and it would have some sort of uh, formal and final cause to it? Oh, it's trying to like get it the sunlight as if it has like some sort of teleology or purpose built in. The physicalist since those days has rejected that. Nature is void of teleology, void of purpose, void of intentionality. It's a physical processing uh, that obeys physical law uh, according to physical forces, such as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, strong, weak nuclear force at a very microphysical level, um, gravitational mass, which would attract objects, uh, electric charge, uh, things like that. And and so uh, this is what you have uh, as your sort of the conceptual resources available to you as a physicalist, but um, that's all irrational. That th there's no mention of rationality. Even if you look at the sort of uh, neural processing, which is sort of the real question we're asking, the relation between neural processing and, and the mind, you've got neurons firing, which is like you know, neurotransmitters, which are complex molecules, uh, enter into uh, a neuron, and that uh, causes the influx of sodium, which is like a chemical, which causes like some sort of electric signal to propagate, which is electricity, which then causes further electrochemical processes. And even if you have a whole assembly of neurons working in tandem, you fundamentally have electrochemical activity happening. And this is fine. This is what physicalism proposes, but it's it's irrational. It's, it's not a reason. Um, and so the what you have on offer for physicalism to explain why you believe what you do why i believe socrates is mortal is uh completely caused by some brain process that was completely caused by some prior brain process and all of that is a rational processing and so the question is and, and the argument for reason tries to to say uh, that's not sufficient for knowledge what we needed was my belief that socrates is mortal to be caused by some inferential process um, from reasons, but what I'm what I have on physicalism is my belief that Socrates is mortal is caused by uh, electro electrochemical activity in the brain, which is is not a reason. So that's the basic that's the basic gist of of the, the what physicalism is and and why there's a problem there. So we have this problem then with like physicalism here, Dwayne. So like, why personally, like, why do you think like this could be like a good argument, like against physicalism? Like, are there certain like parts of it where you're like, like, well, here's a very like um, challenging thing for like a physicalist to respond to? Yeah, well, my, I got interested in it because it's a fun argument. Um, and it's a fun argument that is underdeveloped and under discussed. 
Um, and like I said, I come from mental causation and physicalism and, and studying the interaction between those two. Um, and there's a lot of discussion on related issues. So if I say, well, let's talk about free will, there is like pages and pages and pages of volumes and volumes of discussion on, oh, well, what happens if physical determinism is true? Does that uh, get rid of free will? And then people will accept that, people will reject that. And it's just like a great debate happening. But this parallel issue is what happens if physical causal completeness and supervenience is true? Does that cause a problem for reason and hence knowledge? It's just under discussed. And so I'm trying to draw attention to it. I'm trying to poke the physicalist bear a little bit and say, give us a, a good answer. And there are no doubt answers potentially out there, um, but it just hasn't been discussed that much. It's kind of like, here's a little pocket of it happening. Here's a little um, quote from a, a famous philosopher sort of gesturing at an intuition, but it's not fully unpacked. And so I'm just proposing, you know, here's a, a real issue. Uh, that we need to uh, shed some light on. And it's, it's, it's uh, also, it goes a step further. And this is where I say it's kind of a fun argument because as it turns out, physicalism itself is supported by reasons, right? The, the leading argument for physicalism these days is a so-called causal argument for physicalism. And it roughly uh, goes from the following three premises to the conclusion that physicalism is true. So the premise one is mental causation that there are mental causes. Premise two is a completeness of physics principle that um, it's kind of like the physical causal completeness I was referring to earlier, that physics is causally complete. Premise three, there is a causal exclusion principle. There can't be overdetermination. You can't have two causes when one will do. Um, and so if you accept those three principles, uh, the result is supposed to be, therefore, um, mental causes are identical to physical causes. That's the only way you can get mental causation in a, a fundamentally physical world without overdetermining having two causes. Um, and so that's the leading motivation for physicalism these days. But you'll notice that is using an inferential process from reasons to the conclusion that physicalism is true. And so if this argument from reason is successful, that entire um, logical infrastructure collapses. Uh, there's no reason for physicalism anymore for the same reason that there's no reason for anything because physicalism lacks the conceptual resources to deliver uh, reason and hence knowledge. So the physicalist themselves can't say, I know physicalism is true. I have reasons. Here's my causal argument for physicalism. And so it uh, leaves physicalism in this sort of self-stultifying position, they call it, where um, if it's true, you can't know it is true. Um, and so this provides surplus motive for the physicalist to say, no, here's how we can ground knowledge uh, and inferential knowledge more particularly, because we need it in order to get physicalism off the ground. And so it's sort of a threat to even the argument structure that uh, leads to physicalism. Um, and so those are sort of my own personal interests. I think just it needs some attention drawn to it. Mm, yeah, that's super helpful, Dwayne. Um, so something that kind of drew me into this interview is like looking at the idea of like dual process replies to the argument from reason. Because like this is something that like I'm personally um, not familiar with and I'm trying to become like an understand like just trying to understand more um like what are like dual process replies to the argument from reason so we have this like question of like what's going on here and like so, like what are they and like why would someone argue this way 
Right. Yeah. So a dual process reply is um, a strategy for answering this question. Um, probably if you have physicalists listening to this conversation now, they're like shaking their head. They're saying, duh, we can just do this. And this is, they're probably assuming a dual process reply. I know of no other strategy that is used. And, and that's fine because the dual process reply is a very powerful strategy. And it basically says, look, can't we just say that the physical process um, is also the reasons process? Like, so there's, a, it's serving a dual purpose. So we can get our physical, physicalism by saying there's a complete physical cause, but we can also get our knowledge and reason by saying that physical cause is either identical to um, the physical cause or supervenes on it, or there's two explanations of the same cause. And so it's sort of saying we get, we can have our cake and eat it too. We can have our reason and our physicalism too. Um, and so that's sort of the strategy. And I, I would, would assume that um, any physicalist watching it right now or initially seeing this argument would say, no, there, this is a simple solution. It's lickety split. It's all done. Okay, sorry, I was trying to get my my mouse to the unmute button and I was like struggling. Sure. I'm like, uh, but so when we're thinking about like dual process replies, like with the argument from reason, like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dwayne, but like what you're trying to bring forward here with the argument from reason is this question of, of like, hey, like, um, like what are the actual like reasons for believing something? Because like the physical processes isn't going to be enough. Um, and when we're looking at dual process replies, the physicalist is saying, well, yeah, that physical causation here, like that's actually the reasons. Like these are the reasons is this physical process that leads to us forming these beliefs. Um, it's like we're good to go. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's sort of there's there's three versions of the dual process reply that I focus on. Uh, the one is sort of a reductive physicalist view that says um, your reasons are identical to the physical processing in your brain. And so we have a complete physical cause and that just is uh, the reason. And so we have the reason as a cause too. The second uh, version is a non-reductive physicalist uh, version, which uh, says while, while they grant that the reason is not identical to the physical cause in our brain, uh, they will say, they will use their supervenience principle and say, but the reason supervenes on uh, the physical processing in the brain. So your 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 neural processing gives rise to your reasoning, um, and so what you've got is sort of two causes going at the same time. You've got a complete physical cause. You also have your reason as a distinct cause, bringing about uh, your reason. And so, but in, in but you still have a complete physical cause and a reasons cause in a way that's consistent with physicalism because it just had to emphasize that supervenience principle. Uh, so that's the second strategy. And then the third strategy sort of departs the realm of causation and metaphysics and goes towards epistemology and explanation. It says you can have um, a two explanations, a reasons explanation and a physical explanation of the same uh, ev event stream that's happening in your brain. And so you can have this reasons explanation in terms of you know, why do I believe that Socrates is mortal because of my reason that you know Socrates is human and humans are mortal. But I could also give a complete physical explanation for my belief that uh, Socrates is mortal in terms of some neural processing that's happening in my brain. Um, and so in, in all of those strategies sort of have this dual process nature where it's like the, the physical process uh, gives rise to the the reasons process, which 
satisfies the uh, the quest for reason and knowledge. Okay, so maybe it'd be helpful then, Dwayne, to kind of look at these uh, replies one by one. So let's look at like reductive physicalism here. Uh, like, why do you think this? Like, well, maybe first go into like maybe like maybe thirty seconds, like what this reply would say, and then like like why do you think this reply is unsuccessful? Yeah, for sure. So the reductive physicalist uh, will say, um, and I should I should mention that um, while some people engaging in the argument for reason do deploy this reductive physicalist strategy, I'm sort of importing from the mental causation discussion the most common physicalist models of mind-brain relations. And reductive physicalism is one. Uh, and so uh, it's not just people in the argument for reason pr propose this, but like if this were to become a, a, a much bigger um, question, the typical physicalist would offer these three uh, possible solutions, reductive physicalism being one. Though it's not the most popular these days, the, the second, the non-reductive physicalism has sort of a little bit of more prominence. But the reductive physicalist uh, basically says that you can reduce um, reasons or mental states in general to brain states. By reduce, we just mean uh, A is B, right? So what is A, what is B? Uh, well, A is B. So some examples of that would be uh, of successful reduction that they would point to would be water is H2O. And so we've reduced water to H2O or um, lightning is electrical discharge. That would be an example of a successful uh, reduction that would be pointed to as a classic case. And then they would say, and in the same way, um, the mental states are identical to uh, brain states. Um, and so you get then, since, since brain states are uncontroversially causal, uh, and reasons are just identical to brain states, reasons are uncontroversially causal too. And so you get your reasons cause and your uh, physical cause in one cause, you get two for one. So that's the the sort of summary of reductive physicalism. There are a number of problems with it. As I said, it's not the most popular uh, even amongst the physicalists. Some of the reasons being, uh, well, first of all, the identity seems to fail, right? You can't just simply assert uh, I claim these things are identical, right? Like the dog says, I'm a bird. No, you're not. Um, and so you have to show that they actually are identical. There's reason to think they're not. Uh, these days, the most common uh, reason given amongst physicalists is a sort of multiple realizability argument against reduction. It basically says, um, look, your mental states can be realized in different physical processes, right? Let's say you you uh, enjoy Cheerios. Let's say you like Cheerios. So you believe Cheerios are yummy. That's your belief. Uh, and you started believing that when you were four. Uh, well, your brain state has changed a little. It's, it's evolved a little bit. Um, new neurons have formed. Um, and so your belief that Cheerios are yummy has stayed the same since when you were four. Um, but uh, your neural processing has changed a little bit. And then in other people, if I if I scan your brain and someone else's brain, they all claim to like, you know, believe Cheerios are yummy, but there's going to be a slightly different neural structure. And then if we start to like, you know, check out the dog's neural structure, because they some Cheerios fall on the floor and the dog eats them too and, and believes Cheerios are yummy. Well, it's got a different neural structure in a cat. And, and so um, the same belief that Cheerios are yummy can be realized in uh, different ways in different people or in the same person over time. Um, and that uh, speaks against an identity because an identity means that wherever a thing is, that thing is, right? If there's one thing, then wherever it is, it is. 
Um, and yet we have this belief Cheerios are yummy. And let's say it's realized by brain state A and me. Uh, but you don't have brain state A, but you do have the belief Cheerios are yummy. So there's a place where it is, but it isn't. And so that says there isn't an identity. There's other, like the more the more common uh, historical argument against identity is there's just seems to be discernible distinctions. There are properties that differ between them. So you wouldn't normally uh, assert an identity if there's properties differing. So like, let's say I lose my dog um, and I put out a, you know, a sign that says reward for my dog and I describe it, you know, it's brown, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, a lab, it's uh, got three legs only, it lost a leg in an accident. Uh, it's got a black spot on it. And then reward $10,000. And so everyone's motivated to find the dog. And someone says, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna call him up and say, I found the dog. I found your dog, give me the $10,000. And it's like, okay, bring it to me, sure. And it, they bring you a four-legged dog. They bring you a white dog. They bring you a Cocker Spaniel. It's like, this isn't my dog. It's like, you because it has different properties than your actual dog, it's not the same thing. Um, and so it appears to be the case that mental states have different properties than physical states. Mental states are qualitative or have experiential components or consciousness to them. Um, physical states are located in space, have weight, have mass, but you can't have like uh, six pounds of love unless if you're a poet and you're trying to like describe like you can't weigh love. You can't uh, have a, how much uh, hope you have. I have 10, 10 feet worth of hope. Um, and so there just appears to be different properties between the two, especially when it comes to the argument from reason. Reason involves intentionality, involves um, uh, logical relations, involves propositions and sort of reference to propositions. Um, physical uh, states don't do that. They it, they don't have they have electrochemical properties. They they have charge. They have um, positive negative charge, etc. Uh, they have shape, but they don't seem to have those mental properties, and so the identity just seems to fail. Um, but the reductionists can sort of say, well, here's a way we could have both. And so let uh, there are other problems uh, with the reductive solution too. The most sort of common one in uh, in the literature is the causation problem and basically says objects cause in virtue of their properties. Uh, so let's say I have a pear uh, and one property of the pear is it's green. Another property of the pear is it's one pound. Let's say it's a one pound pear. It's a big pear. Uh, and I put it on the scale to weigh it and it, it comes to one pound. And then I ask, what caused the scale to tip to one pound? Well, the pear did, but yes, but not not just the pear. What property of the pear? Was it its greenness that made the, the pear tip? No, that wasn't relevant. Was it its, its mass? Yes. And so uh, in the same way as this pear causes the, the scale to tip in virtue of its mass, not in virtue of its color. So um, a physical state, which is a mental state, uh, still causes either in virtue of its um, mental properties, in virtue of its reasons, in virtue of its reasonableness, or in virtue of its neural properties, its physical properties. Uh, and so you have a choice to make. Does, uh, does this um, mental physical event cause in virtue of its reasons, in virtue of its being a reason, or in virtue of its neural processes? In order to uh, preserve physical causal completeness, the physicalist will say, in virtue of its physical properties, because there has to be a complete 
cause in virtue of those physical properties. Well, that leaves irrelevant the mental properties. It doesn't matter that it's a reason if it's not in virtue of its reasonableness that it's doing its work. There's actually a in the um, in the literature on inference. There's actually a parallel problem. Uh, it's called the causal deviance problem, uh, where it's possible to have a true belief that's justified by reasons and even caused by those reasons, but caused in the in a, the wrong way by those reasons. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm let's stick with our Socrates example. Uh, let's say I I believe Socrates. Uh, let, let's let's say uh, I'm talking about myself now. Um, I am I am human, right? So I believe I am human, and I have this general gist that all humans are mortal, right? All humans are mortal, but I, I I'm just afraid to admit that I'm mortal. I'm being irrational. I I'm not admitting the truth. I can't see the logical. I'm afraid of my death, right? Um, and so, but what happens is one day while contemplating human mora mortality, right? I'm just thinking about it. I'm walking. I trip over a stone, and I bang my head on a rock, another rock. And I, I pass out, I wake up scared for my own mortality, like, whoa, I could die here. Suddenly I believe I'm mortal. So what just happened is my reason, my, you know, humans are mortal and I am human, caused me to believe I'm mortal. But it didn't do it in the right way. It wasn't in virtue of the reasonableness of those reasons. It did it in this indirect way, this, this deviant causal, it took a deviant causal path. Um, and so you need for knowledge, the reason to cause in virtue of the reasonableness. And so if the uh, physicalist who is a reductionist says, yeah, well, the reason is identical to the physical process, but it's the physical properties. Well, that's just a version of causal deviance. It's like, it's not in virtue of the reasons. It's in virtue of the physical processing. Now, the reductive physicalist could say, well, I reject that, that idea that you can uh, divide up the event into its properties. Some will try to do that, but a reductive physicalism uh, inevitably leads to the possibility of dividing up property, it, uh, an event into properties because the reductive physicalist by definition says that this event is physical, so it has the property of being physical. They say this event is mental, so it has the property of being mental, so it has uh, multiple properties. An eliminative uh, reductionist wouldn't have this problem where they say this event is physical and there's no mental. It doesn't have the property of being mental. So there isn't a mental property and physical property. But the conservative reductionist that says the mental is the physical, mental exists, the physical exists, uh, always has this ability to have different properties of the thing. And so you have this causation problem. Um, there are some other problems with reductive physicalism as well. I could go into them if you want, but maybe that's enough. I, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> well, if we had all the time in the world, maybe. Um, but let's keep rolling here. Um, so we have reductive physicalism. That's one view of things. What about like non-reductive physicalism? Like, what is this reply? And like, why do you think this reply would be unsuccessful? Sure. Yeah. And this is the more prominent uh, uh, view amongst the physicalists these days. And so um, that uh, reductive physicalist some percentage of people do endorse that view, but the mo most physicalists are in this non-reductive camp, partly for argument number one and, and argument number two, right? It, there doesn't, there seems to be um, no identity here, um, and there's this causation problem. Um, and so maybe what we can do is be non-reductive physicalists, which gives us 
um, complete physical cause. The brain causes uh, brain processing causes me to believe Socrates is mortal, but it also gives rise to this distinct reason my my beliefs that you know humans are mortal. Socrates is human, and those two causes in tandem sort of bring about my my belief that Socrates is mortal. This is the best of both worlds again because I get a distinct reason causing and I get a physical cause. Um, causing to get my physicalism, I get my knowledge, everything's happy. Um, but the problem is, and this is um, a problem proposed by other physicalists, I'm not um, inventing anything new here, there's an exclusion problem um, popularized by Jai Guan Kim, who I did my dissertation on, um, that basically, it basically introduces a, a principle of simplicity. It's Occam's razor. Um, you can't uh, you 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 should not have more causes than you need or the way kim frames it is there can be no more than a single sufficient cause of any event um and why is this a problem well the non-reductive physicalist says is that physical cause sufficient can the physic can the brain processing do all the work to make you have the belief socrates is mortal yeah that's that's physical causal completeness that's physicalism yeah well then you don't need a mental cause you should do away with it. Uh, it's dispensable. It's unnecessary. And since it's more than you need, you should get rid of it. Uh, that is a, a, a too, too um, busy metaphysics to, to have more causes than you need. And physicalists usually appreciate simplicity or sort of parched metaphysics where there's as little as possible in the, in the universe. And to, to posit an extra cause when you don't really need it is a problem. And this is a problem in general for non-reductive physicalism. It would be a problem for the reasons uh, issue as well, because uh, when we're asking, why do I believe Socrates is mortal? There's a, com uh, a complete uh, cause in terms of brain processing. I, I don't really need my reason as a cause. It's there, but it's not doing anything. Uh, so typically what the result of the exclusion problem is, is it's it's there as an epiphenomena or it's there as a, an additional um phenomenon it's there but it's not causing anything it's just sitting around because as soon as you say and it, and it causes then you have more causes than you need so um it's just sitting there doing nothing and that's a, a fairly unattractive position position to hold because why is it there what why did um why do brains give rise to something that's not going to do anything um and so there's a whole host of of problems there so that's one problem um the second problem with the non-reductive physicalist view is it seems that you're going to lose a physical cause of completeness uh, in the in the final analysis, though uh, non-reductive physicalists haven't uh, come to this realization themselves yet. But the argument is, uh, look, if you accept supervenience, uh, they argue that supervenience is metaphysically necessary, which means that in no possible world where the, the brain state exists, could you not have the reason, right? There's a, it, it, as soon as you have the brain state, you're absolutely guaranteed to have the reason. Um, it's impossible for it to be otherwise. Well, that means that it absolutely must be the case that the physical cause uh, comes along with the reason. And so can the physical cause do all the work itself anymore? No, it's actually impossible to know that because there's no world where the physical cause is by itself without the mental cause because of the supervenience relation. 
And so there's no way to know that the physical cause can do the work itself. Uh, but physicalism is the view that physical causes can do all the work of the universe themselves. Um, and so we're, we're, we have a problem here. Um, so that's a second problem, just in general with non-reductive physicalism. Um, it would apply to uh, the problem from reason as well. Uh, so there's a couple of issues that the non-reductive non physicalist has. Okay, that's really helpful. Um, and the last view that you talked about was like explanatory dualism. So what is like explanatory dualism? And like, what do you think about like, why is this reply going to be unsuccessful when we're looking at the argument from reason? Yeah, for sure. So um, I don't advocate uh, this explanatory dualist view, but in the literature, there are some people doing it. So I would just discourage it. Why? Because the issue is metaphysics. Let's not turn it towards explanation. Uh, the, why is the issue metaphysics? Because it's about causation, which is metaphysics. Um, and in any event, the, the problems all repeat themselves uh, anyways at the explanatory level. So some people will say, well, there's one causal process, but it can be explained in two ways, right? Uh, this sort of follows uh, Donald Davidson in the literature like of mental causation going back to the 70s and 80s. Um, but they say, well, so, so there's a, a, a reduction at the ontological level. So it's endorsing reductive physicalism at the causation level. So it's going to have to have, it still has all those problems that the reductive physicalist has. But what it wants to add is, but you can describe this causal relation in two different ways that are both true. You could explain it in terms of a complete physical explanation. You could explain it in terms of a reasons explanation. Um, and so there's two um, different, so I'm trying to make the number two here. There's two different um, re explanations, but there's just one causal process. Uh, so I don't think this is a very good um, solution because it ultimately leads to um, the view that meant that reasons explanation is unnecessary and dispensable, which is a big problem. Why does it lead to that? Well, we just have to reintroduce our completeness principle at the explanatory realm, reintroduce our exclusion principle at the explanatory realm. So instead of physical causal completeness, there's a principle of physical explanatory completeness, which says um, there's a complete physical explanation for all events that happen. And the physicalist would accept this. And then there's an explanatory exclusion principle as well. In fact, Jaguan Kim started with an explanatory exclusion principle and then moved towards a causal exclusion principle. And the explanatory exclusion principle says there could be no more than a single complete explanation. I've tweaked it a bit. Uh, Kim actually said there can be no more than a single complete and independent explanation. And that's how he tries to fudge in a mental explanation because it's dependent. Um, but there's no, as I'll explain in a minute, there's no need to allow for dependent additional explanations. Um, and so let's just say that uh, there's a complete physical explanation. We don't need anything more than that physical explanation, but the mental explanation is a distinct explanation. Uh, it's more than we need. We've already got a complete uh, physical explanation in theory. Now, now it would take a very long time like, to describe all of the neural processing that's happening. And so we might want to use a shortcut and say, well, I'm going to explain it more shortly by using a, a reasons explanation uh, or 
uh, someone might lack the relevant background of neuro neuroscience. So to, to give a, a neuroscientific explanation of why I believe Socrates is mortal is, is they're not going to understand it. And so I need to just say, oh, well, well, it's just that you, you believe that Socrates is human and humans are mortal. That's why. Like, oh, okay. So people say, oh, so you, you need explanations for that reason, but they're not ultimately necessary, which means that if you have a, a future, like let's put the race forward 500 years and everyone is fully versed in neuroscience, like the, 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 the children in that culture are just so smart and they, 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 they start with neuroscience uh, in kindergarten, let's say. Um, and by the time they're 30, they, they have a full understanding because the sciences have advanced so far, they have a full understanding of neuroscience. And so they can, I can say, why do you believe what you, what you believe? And they say, oh, well, there's neural activity in, in this region of the brain. Oh, okay, I get it. And you don't need to talk about mental explanation anymore because it's complete and they, they understand it. Um, we start to do this, right? Like I got a dopamine hit, right? Right. And it's like, okay, so we're starting to, or, or, you know, I got the adrenaline flowing, right? So we're, we're starting to understand what uh, this physical processing means. And so we don't need to describe it as, oh, I feel energetic or I feel whatever happy or whatever the case might be here. And so uh, if we imagine that future case, you, that, that they could stop talking in psychological vocabulary entirely and they would have a complete explanation of everything. Um, so this makes mental explanation in principle, excludable and unnecessary. You could get rid of it. And that's a big problem because our, our minds really <laughs> such uh, unnecessary things. Uh, well, it's, if you want knowledge and you agree with the argument from reason, no, you need that reason's explanation. Um, so you can't get rid of it, but physicalism, uh, it, as soon as you ex accept physical explanatory completeness says you could in principle get rid of it. Um, now I had mentioned that uh, the way Kim gets around that and some people in the literature in the argument for reason follow Kim in this, in this way. They say, well, but actually you can allow a complete additional explanations beyond a complete one, as long as they're dependent in some way on uh, that complete explanation. Um, but this doesn't make sense to me because like, let's say, let's say uh, Sophie, the pigeon I've trained to peck at red things. Uh, and that, that explains it. So I put a little red seed in front of Sophie, the pigeon, and she pecks at it. That explains it fully. Now I could add surplus explanations all day long. I say, well, also, Sophie pecks at red or green things explains it because red, uh, being red or green depends on being red uh, or red or green or blue things that explains it. Red or green or blue or yellow things or I could go on all day, um, but you don't need those additional explanations that are dependent on the first one. Uh, once you've got a complete explanation, you could do away with it. Um, and so uh, I think this is a big problem uh, that uh, mental explanation is ultimately excludable. Uh, and so this is sort of ex explanatory dualism problem faces, uh, faces that issue. Okay. So this has been really helpful. Like looking at these different replies, Dwayne, um, maybe one thing is we're starting to um, run out of time is thinking about like theism. So we've talked a lot about like the argument from reason and just like different replies uh, that try to explain, like, how could we have like this reason? Um, what about like theism? Like, is is got like is got a good explanation for like rationality and consciousness and all this stuff? 
Uh, maybe. Uh, so the argument from reason is more an argument against physicalism. It doesn't, it is an argument for anything. So though it does so happen that most of the people in, well, not well, Lewis, uh, these days, Victor Repper. Uh, so a lot of people these days who endorse the argument for reason are theists. That isn't always the case, right? Plato, Immanuel Kant, um, Epicurus had, had proposed this. They were just doing it as a general problem with, with either determinism or materialism or something like that. Um, though these days, uh, a lot of people uh, are theists. Um, I don't really have a an opinion on that other than it, it is... So let's say you're, let's say you come into a kitchen and there's a bunch of chocolate chip cookies sitting there, just freshly cooked, freshly baked. Um, you ask the chef, you say, oh, you must have like a bunch of chocolate in your pantry, right? And he looks at you weirdly. Well, what's chocolate? What do you, what do you mean by chocolate? I, I, I don't have that. What, what is that? Um, it's kind of a surprise that there'd be chocolate chip cookies in a kitchen without chocolate. And that's where physicalism is at, right? So why is there reason in a universe that dating back 13.7 billion years is physical process after physical process after physical process fully accounting for every moment where did reason come from that's a surprise same with consciousness where's where did consciousness come that's a surprise because it wasn't baked from consciousness however if we start our analogy over and i walk into the kitchen and there's nice freshly baked chocolate chip cookies and i say to the chef oh you must have some chocolate back there, right? And he said, oh yeah, I've got like a 500 pound block of chocolate. Um, then it makes sense why there's chocolate chip cookies. Is that, it's kind of where the theist is at, where if, if you introduce into your metaphysics, a mind, uh, a logos, right? Uh, like uh, that has logic that is conscious and this is the maker of everything. And it's no longer surprising that you'd have a bunch of minds that are conscious and use reason running around. Um, and so in a sense, it, it is pretty consistent with that background metaphysic in a way that physicalism has to give rise to the chocolate chips without starting from chocolate chips, if you, if you know what I mean, uh, or has to give rise to reason without starting from reason, just starting from blind, irrational physical processes. Uh, so one could argue that and some do, uh, but I haven't uh, spent the time looking into that part of it. That's helpful that like you can approach the argument from reason. Maybe this is helpful for people listening and not just be like, oh, this is just like an argument for God. And like, that's it. Um, but like what, you, what you're espousing here, Dwayne, seems like to me, it's like, well, when we're looking at the argument from reason, you could just be like, okay, well, there's this giant mystery and physicalism seems like it doesn't really fit the bill in terms of explaining it. Um, and that's kind of where we could end. So that's really helpful. Um, Dwayne, as we start to wrap up, is there any like last thoughts or things you want to say before we wrap up here? Um, I'll just reiterate, uh, the reason I got into this is I'm just hoping to draw attention to it. I'm trying to poke the physicalist bear a little bit. Um, I'm certainly aware of a lot of possible ex um, responses to a lot of the things that uh, have been said. And I know that some have tried to provide responses. Uh, I just think it's a really worthwhile topic. It, it, it brings in issues in epistemology, such as the basing relation and, and inference to mental causation, to physicalism. So there's an intersection of a whole bunch of really interesting issues. Um, and other potential problems with physicalism has have had a lot of attention, right? The free will stuff, the consciousness stuff. Um, this, this one hasn't had as much. And so I would just uh, hope that people who are listening would uh, spend some time thinking about it. 
even the physicalist who doesn't like, uh, feels like something's wrong with what I said. What is it? Articulate what's wrong with it so that we can have a discussion about it. Um, other than that, I think uh, it's been really nice. Thanks for having me uh, here. It's been really nice to to have this conversation with you. Oh, absolutely. And there's a lot of fun. And it was really a lot of fun. And there's just a lot for me to process and think about um, as we go on from here. Dwayne, like, how can people like follow you, connect with you, things like that? Um, yeah, so I have a paper that I just uh, put out uh, a year ago or so on this issue. Um, I've got another one coming out in a book that's supposed to like an edited collection that's supposed to be coming out in the next year or so. Uh, so if if uh, you could find those on sort of the academic social media, uh, academia.edu or fill papers, uh, I don't really have like a, a Twitter or a Facebook or anything, but like academic social media, uh, fill papers would be the best if you look me up uh, there under Dwayne Moore on fill papers that you can find uh, what I've been writing on. Well, Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate you. I really do appreciate your time and like your openness and everything for this. Um, it's been huge. I would encourage people to check out uh, Dwayne and what he's doing. It's super cool. Uh, and yeah, this is here in apologetics. So if you're new to here, I'd encourage you to like subscribe, all that fun stuff. And if you value what we do, uh, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash here apologetics. Uh, your support for as little as a dollar a month would be huge, but Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time. Great. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you have a good one, and God bless. We'll catch you later.